We know that God is a God of justice. But our notion of justice and God's notion of justice are often on two different wavelengths and two different timetables. We think in the moment, God thinks eternally. We look at the things which are seen, but God looks at the things which are not seen. This is All Things New with Pastor Barry E. Fields. You know, we live in a world that is filled with lies. It's filled with deceitfulness. It's filled with fake news, and it's not confined to Republicans or Democrats. We live in a world where Satan, as the father of lies, desires to deceive all that he can. And the question for us today is, are we willing to hear the truth of God's Word? This this is why we need to be in the Lord's house. This is why we need Scripture, to make sure that our heart is hearing truth. And beyond that, to make sure that not only are we being hearers of the Word, but that we're being doers of the Word. This is the great mistake that King Saul repeatedly makes towards the end of his life. He stops listening to the voice of God, and he starts listening to the voices inside of his head. This is what happens as a result in 1 Samuel chapter 26, beginning in verse 6. David said to Abimelech the Hittite and to Joab's brother Abishai, the son of Zariah, Who will go down with me into the camp to Saul? Abishai said, I will go down with you. So David and Abishai went to the army by night, and there lay Saul sleeping within the encampment, and his spear stuck in the ground at his head. And Abner and the army lay around him. And then Abishai said to David, God has given your enemy into your hand this day. Now please let me pin him to the earth with one stroke of the spear, and I will not strike him twice. But David said to Abishai, do not destroy him. For who can put out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? And David said, As the Lord lives, the Lord will strike him, or his day will come to die, or he will go down into battle and perish. The Lord forbid that I should put out my hand against the Lord's anointed. But take now the spear that is at his head, and the jar of water, and let us go. So David took the spear and the jar of water from Saul's head, and they went away. No man saw it or knew it, nor did any awake, for they were all asleep, because a deep sleep from the Lord had fallen upon them. Then David went over to the other side and stood far off on the top of the hill with a great space between them. And David called to the army and to Abner, the son of Ner, saying, Will you not answer, Abner? Then Abner answered, Who are you who calls to the king? David said to Abner, Are you not a man? Who is like you in Israel? Why then have you not kept watch over your Lord, the king? For one of the people came in to destroy the king, your Lord. This thing that you have done is not good. As the Lord lives, you deserve to die because you have not kept watch over your Lord, the Lord's anointed. And now see where the king's spear is in the jar of water that was at his head. Saul recognized David's voice and said, Is this your voice, my son David? And David said, It is my voice, my Lord, O king. And he said, Why does my Lord pursue after his servant? For what have I done? What evil is on my hands? Now therefore let my Lord the king hear the words of his servant. If it is the Lord who has stirred you up against me, may he accept an offering. But if it is men, may they be cursed before the Lord, for they have driven me out this day that I should have no share in the heritage of the Lord, saying, Go, serve other gods." 
Now therefore, let not my blood fall to the earth away from the presence of the Lord, for the king of Israel has come out to seek a single flea like one who hunts a partridge in the mountains. Then Saul said, I have sinned. Return, my son David, for I will no more do you harm, because my life was precious in your eyes this day. Behold, I have acted foolishly and have made a great mistake. David answered and said, Here is the spear, O king. Let one of the young men come over and take it. The Lord rewards every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness. For the Lord gave you into my hand today, and I would put out, not put out my hand against the Lord's anointed. Behold, as your life was precious this day in my sight, so may my life be precious in the sight of the Lord. And may he deliver me out of all tribulation. Then Saul said to David, Blessed be you, my son David. You will do many things and will succeed in them. So David went his way. And Saul returned to his place. Perhaps one of the most often used and maybe most often ignored phrases in the Bible are the words, wait on the Lord, hope in the Lord, trust in the Lord. Because we live in a world that does not like to wait. Fast food, fast cars, fast internet, fast technology fast track. We reward those who arrive early and we look down on those who make it late. But the God of the Bible says more often than not, what we have to do is wait to hear the voice of God rather than giving in to the voice of man. Here's David in one of the most difficult portions of his life. It's easy to look at the story of David and say, Man, he got Goliath with a stone. He threw him down right there, slew him immediately, took him out. But what we don't often understand is that the next 15 years of David's life were absolutely miserable because the king that he was to succeed tried to destroy him. In fact, Saul has been plotting against David for a while now. He throws a spear at him, not once, but twice in an effort to kill him. He tries to use his own daughter's marriage to David as a way to spy on him. And then when he offers his daughter in marriage, he says that David must kill a thousand Philistines before he can marry her, hoping that David himself will be killed. Then he outright tries to have him killed. And Jonathan, Saul's son, has to make a covenant with David saying, I'm going to try to determine my dad's mood for you. If I shoot three arrows in front of the servant that I send out for these arrows, it will be well for you. But if I shoot those three arrows behind the servant, you need to get away. And as David watched those arrows arch into the air, perhaps he saw his friendship, his companionship, and his loyalty to Saul going down with them as they landed behind that servant. And David was forced to flee for his life. At one point before chapter 26 and chapter 24, David has an opportunity to end Saul's life. He and his men are hiding from Saul as Saul has sent 3,000 men out after David. Saul goes into a cave in order to relieve himself and David is in the cave. And the men say to David, at this time, take out Saul. He's alone. But David says, I can't do that. I can't touch the Lord's anointed. So he takes just a corner of his garment. Saul doesn't know it. He comes outside the cave and David calls after him and shows him the garment and says, I have not touched you this day. And Saul throws his pity party and says that he's sorry. It's not the only time that he'll do that. He says, David, why can't we be friends again? 
And then a few days later, 3,000 men are once again after David, even though he has spared Saul's life. How do you respond when you don't feel like God is showing up when he's supposed to show up? This culture says, don't get mad, get what? Even. It's a formula for success in business and politics, but it is contrary to God's word. And if you live your life with revenge on your mind for those who have wronged you, if you live your life with justice of your own accord and on your own timetable, you will be destroyed. Here's Saul looking around him. The kingdom's no longer his. He knows it's been given to David, and at one point he says, what left has David to take but my kingdom? And so he goes on the warpath. We live in a world where everyone is offended or outraged about something. Get on social media, you'll find out that someone's offended about something or someone. We live in an age where more lawsuits are filed than ever before because people are determined to get their just due. They're determined to give as is given to you. Do as it has been done unto you or do one to others before they get a chance to do one to you. And if we're not careful, what happens is we turn into this, what I call the Captain Ahab syndrome. You may be familiar with the epic Moby Dick that Herman Melville wrote where Ahab spends the rest of his life going after the whale that bit off his leg. And not only does he lose his own life, he loses his ship, but he loses his entire crew with him. And there is one point in that passage where Melville opines well. He says, if his heart had been a cannon, it would have blown out of his chest. Shot out. What do you do when someone has wronged you and you can't get the justice you think you deserve? Saul spends the rest of his life mad at God, mad at his family, mad at his friends, mad at everyone else, and pretty much making everyone around him miserable. Because that's what revenge will do to you. That's what happens if you don't leave justice, if you don't leave the will of God in the hands of God. Saul knows that God has his hand on David, and yet instead of accepting that blessing, he rebels. He becomes angry. He sees David having the blessing that he wanted, that he lost. And while the Bible will tell us that no root of bitterness should grow up in him, this root of bitterness is destroying Saul, and it'll destroy you too. So those 3,000 men of Israel go out to seek David at Saul's command. David learns about it, sends some spies. He secretly goes into the camp. He takes Joab's brother Abishai with him. These guys are the warriors of Israel. And Saul is laying there asleep with his spear stuck up in the ground by his head, ready to go into battle, surrounded by his army. He's on top of the hilltop. He's in perfect camp position. He is in defense mode, and yet David gets in. And Abishai, David's servant, says to him in 1 Samuel 26, 8, God has given your enemy into your hand this day. Now please let me pin him to the earth with one stroke of that spear, and I will not strike him twice. In other words, I'm not going to miss. 
And keep in mind, David has spent most of his life trying to honor Saul. Saul hasn't honored David. Saul is not justified in what he's doing, but David, if he wants to take Saul out, has good reason to do so. And yet in 1 Samuel 26, 9, David says to Abishai, do not destroy him, for who can put out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? And as the Lord lives, the Lord will strike him, or his day will come to die, or he will go down into battle and perish. The Lord forbid that I should put out my hand against the Lord's anointed. So David takes the spear, a weapon of warfare, rule, and power, takes the jar of water next to Saul, the substance of life, and they leave. He goes to a safe place away from the camp, and he calls out to Abner, the head general. And finally, Saul hears that voice that's familiar to him, and he says to David, Is this your voice, my son David? In parentheses, who I'm trying to kill? (laughs) And David says back, It is my voice, my Lord, O King. And he asks the question that certainly most of us must ask when we feel like we haven't been vindicated, when we feel like... People are out to get us. He says, why are you coming after me? Because all I've done is tried to honor you. I have sat at your table. I played that harp when you were in a bad mood. When nobody else in Israel could defeat the giant that came down against this country, I fought and I did it for you. And yet he says in 1 Samuel 26, 23, the Lord rewards every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness. For the Lord gave you into my hand today and I would not put out my hand against the Lord's anointed. David understands something that we often forget. That is, he waits on the Lord. This isn't the only place he talks about it. He says in Psalm 27, wait on the Lord, be of good courage. He shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say on the Lord. He says in Psalm 40, I waited patiently on the Lord, doing God's will, God's way. Here's the difference. Saul doesn't wait for Samuel to show up a few chapters earlier. And obviously there's a point in our lives where we can wait so long and miss the signs that God has for us that we don't take a step of faith forward, and it's sin on our behalf not to move when God calls. You heard of the man, there was some flooding yesterday, perhaps you heard the story of the man who was on top of his house, was sent a couple of different types of rescue, a boat came after him and said, get in, your house is going to go to the floodwaters, and he said, I'm waiting on the Lord. Finally, a helicopter came and said, climb on board, you'll have to do this in order to get out. He says, I'm waiting on the Lord. The man drowns, he ends up before the heavenly throne, and he says, I was waiting on you, Lord. Why didn't you show up? He says, I sent you a boat and a helicopter. What did you want me to do? Throw down a ladder from heaven. Sometimes we miss the obvious signs of God. But more often, when we don't see God acting on our timetable and in our way, we take matters into our own hands. So Saul says, get me a match. I'll light the fire. I'll make the sacrifice. Jacob will say a few hundred years earlier, I'll get the birthright that God promised me and I'll do it my way and I'll get it through my scheming. David himself will later say, get me a count of the army when God said, you don't need a count of the army. I know how many you've got. Man, he would get in trouble. 
But in this instance, David waits. You hear those voices around him? Good friends, by the way. They say, David, this is your time. You can take him out. You don't have to run anymore. You don't have to live like a nomad. You can take what's rightfully yours any way you deserve this, David. And David responds, I will not touch the Lord's anointed. And when he calls out to Saul, he displays a true humility here. He doesn't dismiss the possibility that he himself could be at fault. He says, Lord, if this is my fault, forgive me. But if I'm serving you, then vindicate me on your time and in your way. And Saul once again gives the words, I'm sorry. David doesn't know whether he means it or not. And as far as the scripture records, that is the last time that David and Saul ever see each other again. They part ways to meet no more. Surely this wasn't an easy thing for David to do. We know that God is a God of justice. But our notion of justice and God's notion of justice are often on two different wavelengths and two different timetables. We think in the moment. God thinks eternally. We look at the things which are seen, but God looks at the things which are not seen. And David doesn't excuse what Saul has done. He doesn't say, I forgive you. He doesn't say, everything's okay. He simply says, I'm not going to be like you. I'm not going to respond like you because I know that one day God will have his way. Brothers and sisters, if we would ever truly believe that, We'd be a lot more calm and a lot more at peace with family and friends and colleagues who have wronged us. Because when he writes in Psalm 23, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, what we don't realize is he is walking through the valley of the shadow of death. For 15 years... These are the words of Jesus on the cross when he has every right to be vindicated, every right to speak truth to them. He opens not his mouth. And then at the end, he doesn't say, Lord, get them. He says, Lord, forgive them. They don't know what they do. See, this is easy for you and I to talk about theoretically. Look what David did here. Yes, we ought to love our enemies. Yes, we ought not to throw stones at one another. But when you got a loved one laying on the hospital bed, when your kid is about as far away from the Lord as you can be, when you don't even recognize your spouse anymore, and when someone hurts your family, and you want vengeance right here, right now, when God says it belongs to Him, that's when it gets real. Can you show the grace of God to the most difficult people in your life? Because it will make you or break you. One day, you say, well, I'll have to adjust the entire way I think. I'll have to change my entire mentality. Brothers and sisters, that's what the gospel does. It turns your life absolutely upside down that you no longer speak on your own behalf, but you speak on behalf of the Lord because it's not your life anymore. It's His. You've been bought with a price. Are you willing to wait? This is where most pastors make a mistake in church life, and I would submit that most people probably do this too. They say one of the most difficult years in 
pastoral ministry on average is between years four and five. But some of the most fruitful years are between years five and seven. You know when most pastors leave churches? Year four, right before it gets good. I wonder if that's true in your life. You keep saying, I'm, I'm waiting on the Lord, I'm waiting on the Lord, I'm waiting on the Lord, and right before God is set to answer your prayer, you give up. You drop the ball. Because you're more determined about your timing than God's timing. But if you'll trust in the Lord, He says, I promise I will repay. I will take care. And I want you to notice what David is doing while he's waiting. God's promised him he'd be the king. God said the anointing is on your life, but David isn't simply sitting there saying, why am I not king yet? He isn't wasting time while he's waiting. He's serving the Lord the very best way he knows how. He's working while he's waiting. Some of you that are asking, you know, where am I supposed to serve in the church? Where am I supposed to serve in this life? You sit around and you, and you wait and you say, well, maybe it'll happen one day. You need to start serving somewhere, somehow. This isn't this passive sense of waiting. This is, I'm going to do what I know to do until God shows me otherwise. David is spending this time growing in the Lord so that he's prepared to be king one day. You know, most of us, when we're doing goal setting, we overestimate what we can accomplish in one year. We think we can get more done than we can. But we often underestimate what we can accomplish in five years. I would submit to you that we've got some opportunities between Hallsville and Crossroads in this region that, that we didn't have a few years ago that took some time to get where we are. It's kind of changed how I look on life. When I first got here, I used to be a person who was very urgent. Lord, I need this here. I need this now. I'm still that way to a certain extent, but not as much. I moved from being urgent to being strategic. What's important? Where do we need to be long term? And I would argue with you that during those 15 years between David slaying Goliath and becoming the king of Israel, God worked in his heart and his life as much as he ever had. He's preparing him for something great. He works while he waits. He worships while he waits. And listen, it may take a lifetime to prepare you for the role in which God uses you. Moses didn't do much in his life until he was 80 years old. Some of you that are in that range now, you may just be getting started in God's kingdom. But in that moment when you're prepared and when you're prayed up and you're ready, God may use you in a way you've never been used. So much so that at the end of all of this, at the heartbreak of David's life, of having to watch his one-time friend, his one-time devoted king Saul, spiral and spiral out of control, being consumed with revenge, being consumed with anger. David is nevertheless able to say one day in Psalm 40, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined unto me, and he heard my voice. And he brought me up out of the pit, out of the miry clay, and he set my feet upon a rock, and he established my goings, and he put a new song in my mouth. Even praise to our God, many shall see it, and fear, and shall trust 
in the Lord. David would say, like many of us, when people look at my life, they see where I am, but they don't see what it took to get me there. That as I was suffering and as I was waiting, God was transforming my heart and my life. So if I'm not the same person I used to be, and if I had to go through a thousand sufferings and a thousand waitings, it would be worth it because I know the presence of God in the mountain and in the valley. Though in Hoshan and camp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise against me in this thing will I be confident because I've seen the one thing that I've asked for that I may inquire in the beauty of the Lord that I may dwell in his tabernacle forever that I know that the God of Israel fights on my behalf so I no longer have to ask is God on my side but I rather ask who is on the Lord's side and then I get in line because I know that he who is faithful is true if I'll wait on him If I'll trust on him, if I'll hope in him, O Israel, he says, trust in the Lord. Hey guys, thanks so much for listening to the broadcast. If you found it helpful, please consider sharing it with your family and friends. For more information, check us out online at barryefields.com.